Hey everyone, I'm excited to be here with Dr. J.P. Moreland, and today we're going to be talking about his new book, A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. Um, I've read the book, and it isn't just an apologetic for miracles, uh, but it is something that really stirred my faith um, and made me hungry for more of God in my own life. And I know that if you guys read it, um, you will it will probably do the same thing for you, so highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's definitely also a very readable book. Uh, for Christians of all backgrounds, whether you're into apologetics or you're an academic or just, you know, um, a believer who just wants to know more about experiencing miracles. So uh, let's jump right into it. Um, Dr. Moreland, while I'm sure many of our viewers um, are already familiar with some of your work, um, you published a lot of stuff in the area of apologetics. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background in philosophy and ministry and uh, academia? Sure. Eric, it's great to be with you and to have the privilege of uh, <clears throat> spending a little time here talking with your audience. So thank you for inviting me. I was born and raised in a small town outside of Kansas City, Missouri. I went to the University of Missouri and majored in physical chemistry and had a uh, full fellowship to do a PhD in nuclear chemistry. But my junior year, some Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew Fellows, led me to Christ. And I joined the staff of Crusade instead, and eventually went on to seminary, and then I took my MA uh, in philosophy and my PhD at USC under uh, Dallas Willard, because I began to realize that how important the, act, the universities were to shaping the, the culture, and that we, di we were not addressing the, uh, the academic world uh, in a way that we needed to. And so my heart was, as an evangelist and a disciple maker, I wanted to go in and uh, be able to engage in philosophy at the highest level, but also at a lower level to, to mobilize my brothers and sisters that will never go into the field and to stir their hearts towards courage and confidence and so on. And, and this particular book here, uh, it, it, Eric, it's, it's the result of a study I did uh, a handful of years ago. I reread the book of Acts, and then I did some work on the first four centuries of the church. And my question was, what was in their minds when it came to disciple-making and evangelism? <clears throat> and I noticed three things, and I verified this with an expert in church history. The first was training a Christian mind, learning what we believe and why, and how our, our views differ from the cultures. Secondly, um, cultivating uh, discipleship and, and spiritual formation practices to transform my character and uh, produce a tender heart and to make me like Christ. But the third thing, believe it or not, was the... Uh, experiencing and manifesting the supernatural power of the kingdom of God hmm. in signs and wonders. And that didn't stop. That goes all the way through at least Augustine, who, who, who verified 75 miracles in his parish at, at, at one time and saw one with his own eyes. Hmm. And so I think I wrote this to build up my brothers and sisters. I want to give them hope, uh, not false hope, but hope rooted in real facts. I want them to draw closer to God. And sometimes in a, when he answers a specific prayer, 
you sort of know you're on the radar. He's aware of you and you feel closer to him and you're, mm -hmm. and it boosts your faith. It encourages you. So I, I wanted to write this book uh, because so much of uh, you know, contemporary Western miracle stories tend to be associated with kind of kooky people and stuff. And I'm not commenting on that, but I just know a lot of people reject them for that reason. And I think I have a little bit of credibility maybe. And I thought if I could just do, do present an alternative, it might open some people's hearts to the supernatural in a way that maybe some parts of our community wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of like some parts of our community, uh, generally Christian apologists, they don't really have a big problem discussing like the classical arguments for God's existence. You've certainly spent a lot of your time on that, uh, arguing for the existence of the soul, the cosmological argument, among other things. Uh, other apologists are known for design arguments, moral arguments. But it seems like we don't really talk a lot about miracles outside of maybe Jesus's resurrection, um, despite the fact that I think a lot of apologists still believe that miracles continue on today. And so why do you think that's the case? Why do we tend to shy away from these things? Boy, that's such a good question, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for raising that. <clears throat> well, in, in my book, A Simple Guide to Miracles, I actually address this question. Hmm. And I, 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 the question I ask is, why are Westerners embarrassed by miracle accounts? And, and I think there are two reasons. The first reason is that whether we like it or not, we have all drunk at the well of, of naturalism, that science is really the only really sure, knowledgeable way to know reality. If you want to believe other things like in God, you can do that, but it's less of a, it's more of kind of an emotional faith commitment. And, and so while, while people in the church would not say, I believe in naturalism, I obviously believe in God, it's in the drinking water. It's been around for so long that it's now, it, it actually informs everything we see and do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we absorb it without knowing it. So the first thing is I think people are unduly skeptical about these things. Mm -hmm. And my posture is I don't want to be gullible and I don't want to be skeptical. I want to be wise. And, uh, and I think too many people are skeptical because of the influence of naturalism. The second thing is, <clears throat> and, and I've surveyed church after church on this, people in our churches are seeing all kinds of mir miraculous events. And in the mm -hmm. book, I list five different kinds. We can mm -hmm. talk about that if you want, but they're not telling anybody about it. Oh, I could give you cases of this. I won't because of our time. But, but so a person gets the, gets the idea that nothing's happening in my church. Yeah. Not supernatural. Uh, but the fact is, there is a whole lot more going on than people realize because people don't want to share when they see something. Why? Well, number one, they don't want to appear like they're trying to be super spiritual or brag about their spiritual lives. But probably more importantly, and this I think is why apologists and more academic types don't tend to uh, move in this area, is they, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be considered uh, kind of fools or, 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 you know, gullible. And they're not right. academically sophisticated. But I don't know why it has to be an either or. I think we can be love God with our minds and, and experience the power of uh, signs and wonders as well. But that's why I think people tend not to embrace these things as readily in our culture. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And I mean, 
uh, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he ran it out at a lecture hall in Tyrannus, it says in Acts 19, and he was definitely reasoning with people. Oh, but in that but in that same passage, it talks about them taking his aprons and things that he was working with, you know, like when he was working on building tents or the different right. things that he was doing, and they took those aprons and people were healed and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I like that you brought up that it's something that was an integrated thing in the early church from the very get-go that uh, somebody like Paul was probably one of the most brilliant thinkers of his time oh. and definitely well-versed in philosophy. We see that in his speech at Mars Hill, but at the same time, he he, he moved in the power of God and, and wasn't ashamed of that. And so um, I definitely want to see see more of that. And I that's what I appreciate about your book and, and others like Craig Keener who are willing oh, yeah. to discuss <clears throat> these things. And yes. so um, before we go any further, um, we should probably talk about some of the philosophical underpinnings. Um, David Hume defined a miracle as a violation of the law of nature. And obviously Hume, you, you, we always got to deal with the ghost of David Hume, it seems like. His shadow uh, looms very large for somebody who died a couple hundred years ago or more. But um, do you agree with that definition or, or what, what do you think is a probably a better way to define a miracle? Well, no, I don't. And um, by selecting the term violation, the idea would be, <clears throat> why would a God violate his own laws? I mean, what was the point in giving them if he was going to violate them later on? You don't violate laws. I mean, that's just all there is to it. And so miracles would be an offense uh, if a, if there was a supreme being that did that. No, I don't. I don't buy that definition. For me, I gave a simple definition of the book, and that is that a, that a that a miracle is a supernatural intervention into the causal physical universe that produces an effect that would not have happened without the intervention and it's done for a purpose so it's an intervention let me give you an example if i drop a ball uh, the law of gravity says that it's going to fall until it hits the floor but if i drop the ball <clears throat> and then a, a second later i reach my hand out and catch it I haven't violated the law of gravity. I've simply intervened in it. And the world has gone a different direction. Namely, the ball has stopped moving and doesn't hit the floor than it would have had I not intervened. Well, that's the same thing with God. Now, I also use the definition to include actions of angels and demons. And I have a whole chapter on how we know they're real. Mm -hmm. And if people balk with that, then, then I'm not... I don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, I'll just limit miracles to God's <clears throat> intervention. But then I also want to say there are other entities that are supernatural that do perform acts in the world. And I just want to insist on that as a supernaturalist worldview. Okay. I'm probably going to ask you about that a little bit later uh, with the angels and demons. Um, but we'll yes. put a pin in that for just a moment. but Because um, it definitely opens up a lot of questions. Um, Having brought up Hume, um, he also talks about, you know, in his famous argument against miracles, he basically said that our everyday experiences provide ample evidence that the laws of nature aren't violated, I guess. Um, we observe regularly that if somebody tries to walk on water, they're going to sink, virgins don't get pregnant, dead people stay dead. And um, 
but we are accustomed in our everyday experience to seeing people lie or, or maybe be just be generally mistaken, genuinely mistaken. And so when faced with a choice, uncertain evidence uh, versus the very strongest possible evidence, um, a wise person should always bet on the stronger evidence. And so um, therefore, we shouldn't probably trust miracle reports. That's sort of his argument in a nutshell. I may have butchered, butchered it a little bit there, but that's the general idea. And so um, what, what are your thoughts on that argument? Right. Well, the good news is I have a whole refutation of that argument in the book that's accessible to, to, uh, to a general audience. And the, uh, the argument is really bad, but, but it, very quickly, let me point out a, a handful of things. First, it's just false. There are hundreds of thousands of miracles happening every day all over the world. And they're happening virtually every week in our churches if people would just share them. Uh, so, I mean, if I look back on my time uh, walking with Christ, I've seen, I'm gonna guess three or 400, what I would consider genuine uh, supernatural events. And I can, uh, I, I list five different kinds and I can tell you a little bit later how you recognize a supernatural event as opposed to an act, uh, just an un improbable accident. So, but that's the first, I don't agree with Hume's view on that. They're happening a lot more than he thinks. In fact, during his time when he wrote that, uh, I read a book uh, recently by a professor that published by Yale University Press uh, it was a historian of that time period who says that there were mul there was an outbreak of miracles all over the UK during that time, and some of them were highly documented mm -hmm. and had, had as many as 20 to 30 eyewitnesses who saw them. And so it's a little funny that he would write that at a time when God was moving in a special way. Yeah. Um, the second thing I would say <clears throat> would be that um, when you're dealing with people, they don't behave uh, uniformly all the time. Um, so you can't make judgments about how they behave, let's say, over a 10-year span of their lives compared to how they're going to behave when they have their 50th wedding anniversary. And so, I mean, a person may, for a special occasion, a husband may, uh, they've been married 25 years, he buys plane tickets and, and surprises his wife by taking her to Hawaii and uh, she comes back and they report on what a great time they had, but people who know this couple and have known them for 25 years have, have never seen him do anything of that sort. There's been a constant uh, lack of interest in that sort of thing. It's utterly out of character. Well, what that misses is that people flex according to special occasions. And there could be special times when God acts in a miraculous way and he doesn't at other times. That's just the way people are. Mm -hmm. So if he's applying a principle that that is applicable to dead matter to free agents, and it doesn't work. And there there are other things I could say, but I do put them in the book, and and they're just it's not a good argument. Those are two of three or four things that that I think one could say. Yeah, definitely. No, I I think that's that's really good. And um, there's I think Hume has probably been refuted. 20 ways from Sunday, but he, it just keeps popping up. It's like a whack-a-mole yeah, no, kind right. of thing. <laughs> nice illustration. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it just always pops up. And so, whack a you know. <laughs> whack, yeah. And so now, um, yeah, in the book you talk about um, how to detect a miracle and like 
the difference between sheer coincidence or luck and uh, you have like you feel like there's a way to objectively differentiate that and so tell us a little bit about that because i thought that was really interesting well thanks for asking first let me just tell you why this is important uh when when god intervenes and performs a miraculous supernatural act for for us One of his purposes is that it would encourage us, that it would build our strength and our, and our trust in him. And he also wants to address the issue. But, but what happens is that maybe the next day after we've had a, our faith encouraged, we start wondering, you know, I wonder if that was just a coincidence. And all of a sudden, this starts eroding the confidence we gained from the, what was really an act of God. And I want to put a stop to that. And so... Uh, I've done it uh, in the following way. Um, In in the world around us, Eric, uh, there are causes that produce effects. Now, sometimes those causes are purely natural causes, like a flash of lightning causing the splitting of a tree. However, there are other times when the cause is is a free act of a rational, uh, purposeful agent. And so you will not be able to explain why our dinner table is set a certain way by appealing to any laws of nature. You have to appeal to it being an act of my wife who purposefully and intentionally and rationally, knowing we were having our Chinese neighbors over and not our Mexican neighbors, arranged the table setting in a specific way for them. And so we sometimes appeal to the acts of personal agents to explain effects and not to natural causes. Now, the principle that I'm going to share with you was, was first of all developed in science, not religion. Mm-hmm. And it is used widely uh, by archaeologists and anthropologists and linguists and, and psychologists and forensic scientists and other scientists. In fact, not long ago, a cave, uh, a, a cave had been discovered with, that was known to have had Neanderthals living in it, but there was a formation on the cave wall and anthropologists were debating whether that was produced as a piece of art by the Neanderthals living there, or if it was just the result of a, a very unlikely, but a, 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 an occasion of erosion. Mm-hmm. Well, they applied the principle that I'm going to mention to you, and they re- achieved almost universal agreement and published the results that this was, in fact, the result of an act by the Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a result. It wasn't a lucky accident of nature. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the principle is called the intelligent agent principle, and it says that when two conditions are met, it is beyond any reasonable doubt that this event you're looking at was produced by an action of a rational, intelligent free agent. Hmm. Not, it was not a lucky coincidence. And the two conditions are, are these. First, the event or what you're, the, the phenomenon you're looking at has to be highly improbable. It has to be unlikely to have occurred. But now that's not enough because suppose you and I were playing bridge and we had a $500 uh, kitty we're playing for. And we, on the, I'm the dealer, and on the first deal, I deal myself a perfect bridge hand. Now, <clears throat> my hand was highly improbable that I would get that hand. But your hand, because it has the same number of cards, is as improbable as mine. 
In fact, if someone had predicted you would get that specific random arrangement of cards before they were dealt, we would all wonder, oh, what is going on here? So um, we, uh, uh, improbability is a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient. There has to be a second one, and that's this. There is something special about this event besides the fact that it happened. Now look at your hand. There's nothing special about your hand except it's just a hand that you happen to get. In fact, I would describe your hand as some, some hand or other that you randomly received. Not so with my hand because even before we sat down, we knew that anyone who got a hand like this one wins because the rules of bridge say that hand is special. Mm -hmm. Now it's the combination of me getting a very unlikely hand, plus it's having a real specialness to it. that mm -hmm. places it beyond reasonable doubt that I cheated, that I got this hand intentionally on purpose and I did, wasn't just lucky. Yeah. This was used in the state of Ohio uh, years ago and in, a, in a court of law where the Democrats sued a Republican and won because of this principle. What happened was <clears throat> they were having their state in-house state elections for the state house. And there were eight districts that were simultaneously having their own elections. And there were something like seven or eight, it may have been nine, seven, eight, nine different parties running in each district, you know, the green, the libertarian, and so on. Now, when the ballots were produced in all of these districts, the Republican candidate was listed first on every ballot out of the eight possibilities in the eight or nine possible in the eight districts. Mm -hmm. Now, First of all, that is extremely unlikely for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But but if you had another arrangement of ballots, you know, Libertarian, Democrat, Green, Republican, and if that occurred in every district, that would be equally as improbable, but nobody would make a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. The reason that this was a problem is that having the Republican first was a very special arrangement, and here's why. We know that whoever's listed first on a ballot gets more votes just because they're first. Mm -hmm. That increases their chances of winning, and we know the person who is printing, in charge of printing all the ballots was a Republican. Mm -hmm. So when that was brought out in, code, uh, in court, the judge said that based upon the fact that this was special, that the Republican had an interest in putting them first, and it was highly unlikely to be accident. This was, you cheated, and this was done on purpose. Now, you can apply that to prayer, if you're praying mm -hmm. for something specific, or to a miraculous healing, uh, or you're needing a word from God, and you sense God speaking to you, and it's exactly what you needed to hear. I mean, I've, I've seen having that happen to me with other people 200 times. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about them, and I say something, and they start weeping. How did you know that? Mm -hmm. And exactly the wording they'd prayed for, word for word. So, I mean, that's how you apply that. Now, remember, this is not a religious principle that I'm using as a Christian because I want to 
beg the question here and cast things in favor of my view. Right, right. This is a principle that was surfaced in scientific practice mm -hmm. that has immediate application to the five kinds of miracles we're talking about in, in the book. That's yeah. important to keep in mind. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of like some of the uh, uh, intelligent design type of arguments to, to, to some extent. It does, it, absolutely. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, it points to divine design because it's not something that can be explained naturalistically. Right. And so, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, I haven't really thought of somebody like telling you something um, as like a miracle or something like that. But I, I have had an instance where in a time of prayer, I felt like God talked to me a little bit about my what I should be doing vocationally. Yes. And then in my office, my pastor, um, without any knowledge whatsoever of the situation, said, I see you doing this, and then I see you doing this. And it was just like, whoa. <laughs> and he was just like, so I, I never kind of put that together as a miracle in the sense of like, I always think of like a healing or yeah. some, no, something. No, that was a miracle in that God specifically intervened and spoke to you in a way that gave you something that you wouldn't have if he hadn't done that. Yeah. How do I know that? Well, first of all, how probable is it that you would have that set of thoughts come to you and then you mm -hmm. walk into the pastor's office and he would say something that was specific, that was related to this? That's very unlikely. Yeah. But secondly, what you heard was special mm -hmm. because unknown to you, you were about to have something happen to you that would specifically cast light on the thoughts that you got. Mm -hmm. And so these thoughts were special because they harmonized with what was going to happen in the pastor's office, whereas another set of thoughts might not, not have had anything to do with what was said in there. And yeah. I, I've had uh, one of the kinds of miracle here, are the five, Specific mm -hmm. yeah. answers to prayer, yeah. miraculous healings, um, times God speaks to us in four or five ways, outside the Bible, but obviously under its authority, mm -hmm. um, the manifestation of angelic or demonic activity and presence, and then near-death experiences. I consider all those to be uh, miraculous events. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Give us uh, maybe an example of, of one of those. Um, yeah. And so uh, what would you, give me one of the examples of maybe answered prayer um, that you personally verify that passes that yes. intelligent agent principle. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, there, there, there was a, uh, a Jewish woman uh, who, and her name's in the book and I give all the details, but she mm. was, terminally ill. She had tried chemo and radiation and been under an oncologist's care. And the, the doctor committed her to hospice care, which and which means that we there's nothing else we can do for you. Mm -hmm. You have 51 points of cancer all over your body. And she saw the, the, uh, the plates and her body was filled with cancer. So she was, mm -hmm. she was dying. Yeah. And and she was in hospice care. A Christian friend of hers came to her and said, look, I know you're not a Christian, doesn't matter. There's a church and it happens to be the church I go to near here where every Monday night they have a prayer room and people go and they just give them, and they, you know, a group of four or five pr prayers will take them into a private room and, 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 and ask what they'd like and they pray for them. 
and why not give it a shot? And so she came, uh, in a, and in three successive Monday nights, she came. The first two, absolutely nothing happened, but she felt so loved on and so blessed, she wanted to do it again. Hmm. So the third night, by her own testimony, she felt hot oil pouring down from the top of her head down to the bottom of her feet. And she intuitively sensed that the cancer was entirely healed. Hmm. So that moved her the next morning. And by the way, I know two of the people who were on that prayer team, and I've known them for 20 years, and they're really solid guys. They don't hmm. make stuff up. And I, and I can tell you another way I know this in a minute. She called her oncologist and said, You're not, I'll explain this to you, but I need to get in there this week and I'll pay for it out of my own pocket, but I need another scan. And the doctor heard the desperate and said, okay, I can fit you in Thursday morning. So she went in and the doctor did another scan on her whole body and he came out and his jaw was on the floor. And he said, mm -hmm. I don't know how to tell you this, but not only do you have no cancer in your body, there's no evidence that you ever had it. And he said, look, and I know that we didn't blow the first, the first scan because he showed her the before scan and the one she just took. And boy, she was riddled with cancer and she was utterly clear. She wow. gave her life to Jesus and became a Messianic Jew. Now, five years after this happened, I was invited to speak on, uh, to be a part of a PBS special on miracles where they were interviewing top atheists and theists and it was going to be aired and i agreed and i wanted to i wanted to use this as an example so i called one of the guys that was on the team that that prayed over her and i got her email and i emailed her and i told her you don't know me but I, this is this is what i've heard and i'm going on pbs so please email and i and so she emailed me back and i've got it right next to me in a, in a file and she said, Dr. Moreland, I, I tell you, everything that, that these the two brothers told you is exactly what happened. I was entirely and totally healed, and it's never come back to, to date in five years. And I am continuing to be on fire for my Messiah, Jesus. And I, I attend a Messianic congregation every week, and I have, and I have still well. Now, that is a miracle, and it fits yeah. the it fits the the it tells you an agent principle, and I could tell you, good Lord, a whole bunch of others. That would be an example of prayer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, that's that's awesome. Uh, that's 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 huge. Was that on Searching for Truth? Was that the show? You know, not that one. It was a different. Okay. Idea. I was on on Searching for Truth several times. Okay, okay, I thought maybe a different one, and I I actually forgot the name. No worries, no worries. No, that's awesome. That's 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 amazing. And obviously, that was this huge sign to her. Oh my gosh! Um, well, she converted. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, what what was the last time you saw a Jewish person spontaneously just do that with no reason at all? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I hear skeptics. I, I was actually on a uh, like a debate on a on a YouTube. Um, an atheist channel or something like that and they're like well you know spontaneous remission it, it happens and it's like but under those conditions of the context of prayer and 
right all these other things that just well, remember remember the intelligent agent principle rules mm -hmm. that out exactly because if it were a spontaneous remission that mm -hmm. would be a highly unlikely improbable event mm -hmm. but what when it passes that as well as the independent specialist namely you were specifically praying for that or someone did then it, it's not in the category anymore of being a spontaneous remission if you if you continue to hold that then you have to rule out uh the use of this by forensic detectives to tell whether this was a murder or just an unfortunate accident which they mm -hmm. use all the time in court yeah. you have to you you eliminated from archaeology and anthropologists and linguists and other scientists using this principle and yet they use it to great effect Right. So now are you going to let them use it all of a sudden because you don't like the conclusion? You're going to change horses in midstream and not allow it here? you got to right. be consistent, dude. I mean, come on. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's a reason why we're still looking for intelligent life and the way that they're doing that, too. It's like... Exactly. Yeah, it's the same principle. It's they're looking for it. Principle. There's ways that they can detect it through intelligence. So They're, they're exactly right. Exactly yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, you talked about the five different categories. One of them was an answer to prayer. And that was like a healing miracle. Um, then you talked about um, what was one was hearing God's voice, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of I used like a little bit of an example from my own background. But yeah. could you maybe share um, yes. a miracle of that type of? Uh, I sure will. I sure okay. will. Thanks. Awesome. And, I, you know, I've, I've had this happen to me, you know, at least 150 times or 200. Mm. Usually happens to me when I'm ministering to someone, but not only. Uh, well, I was, uh, I think it was 94, I forget dates, it's in the book. Uh, 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 I was, uh, there's a local Christian college called Vanguard University. Mm. And in the summer, you know, there's nobody there, but organizations can rent the dorms for conferences. And there was a conference that was going to be held there for six weeks, and it was and they it was an invitation to Korean Americans, second generation um, born here, that came from 30 states or more to, to attend this conference for six weeks. And there were about 140 people that attended it. One of my good friends and faculty colleagues, Ben Shin, uh, professor at Talbot, was one of the leaders of the conference. And so these people came from all over America and for six weeks, they were being taught 90% by the people leading the conference and living with them. They were going to have four, five, maybe six outside speakers come in during the course of that six weeks. And I was one of them. So I spoke in apologetics. I spoke Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, and Saturday morning. Friday night, I went to speak on the problem of evil. I can't remember. And... I did not know this, but when I got there, they they were having a worship service. They were doing praise music and worshiping, which was fine. Uh, so I, you know, I was delayed about an hour, and I sat up in the back, and I was just listening to the worship music and in a really good state of mind. And I said, "Lord, is there anything that you would like me to say to them?" And a series of thoughts came to my mind, and it has a, had a certain texture that I've learned to recognize. Uh, it came from outside me, it flowed through me, and that, that was it. 
I was 70-30, it was from the Lord. You know, when you interpret the Bible, there are times when you land on an interpretation, but there are a couple of other ones that are really good, and so you're not 100% sure yours is right, but you're more than 50-50, you're, say, 60-40, and so you think you have the right to preach this, admitting that there are other ways of looking at this, this is what I think. Okay, well, that's what happens to me. I don't always know it's God for sure. A lot of times I'm 60-40, 80-20, but I was... 70 30. And what came to me was there's a young man here named Mike. And he came, uh, before he came, he had a confrontation with his pastor. And he has blamed himself all the rest of the summer. And it's affecting him, but it wasn't his fault. Hmm. And he needs to confront his pastor. And there are my children, there are some of my children here that are being demonized at night when they're going to bed. And they're sensing a, the dark presence of evil spirits, and they've been sleepless for weeks. And it's ruining their joy here. And I want you to cast those demons away. Hmm. So I, I got up, gave my talk. And when I was finished, I said, uh, there is something I... I would, I would like to share. So would you break up into groups of, uh, oh, three or four? And so people got up and moved around. And I said, um, I think the Lord might be saying, I never say, well, the Lord said, I'd like to give people a way out. So I said, I believe that the Lord is saying to me that there are some of you here who have been experiencing a dark presence in your dorm rooms at night and you haven't slept for weeks. And I want to release you from that kind of demonic oppression uh, in just a minute. Also, there's some young man here, I believe, your name is Mike. You, when you, before you came here, you had a conversation, I told told the story. And I said, uh, the Lord wants you to know it wasn't your fault and that you need to graciously confront your pastor about what he did and, and give him a chance to to not confess to you. Mm-hmm. All right, I said, let's pray. And I bowed, we bowed our heads. And I, I said, any demon in this room that is, that is taunting someone at night, you got to leave. You, I command you in the name and authority and blood of Jesus Christ, you can't stay here any longer. These don't belong to you. They're his. You have to get out of here on his authority and never come back. Holy Spirit, come and fill the place that was vacated. And then, amen. I left, and it was about 10.20 when I left. I came back the next morning to speak, and I got there a good half hour before. I was walking through the parking lot, and the leader of the move of this conference runs across the parking lot to me. And I'm I'm not kidding you, Eric. I thought, oh, no, man, he he wasn't into that at all. (laughs) So I'm I'm bracing, you know, and he comes and says, JP, do you – have, do you know what happened last night? I said, no. Didn't know what was going to happen. He said, after you left, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so powerfully manifested that students stayed in that room until 2 a.m., hmm. weeping and confessing their sins to one another and crying out to God and spontaneously bursting out into worship. He said it was unbelievable. And he said, and have you met Mike? I said, no way. I said, are you telling me there really is a guy here named Mike? I, I said, I have never in my life ever met 
a Korean named Mike. <laughs> he says, well, there is one here and only one, and he's right over there and he's got to talk to you. So he comes up and says, Dr. Moreland, pardon me, how did you know that? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I, I didn't know it, but I was 70, 30. And I said, what do you mean? Oh my gosh, he said, well, I'm from New Jersey. And before we came out here, my girlfriend and I went to see the senior pastor. He's a very godly man, is having a wonderful ministry. But to be honest with you, he said some things that were kind of rude to my girlfriend and, and to me. And they were a little bit were kind of out of place. And while my girlfriend and I were walking away from the appointment, she said, what was that? And I said, well, honey, it, I, I'm, I must have done something wrong because he's he is a trustworthy man. And I, I, I think I must have said something that was inappropriate. And I've been blaming myself. And now your word to me tells me what I need to, to do. And mm -hmm. what here's what you don't know, Dr. Moreland. This six weeks, we're having about five outside speakers come in like you. Tonight, my pastor is flying in from New Jersey, and he's going to be the speaker tomorrow morning on Sunday. Oh. And, and he'll be here. And this was timely because I know now that when he's here, I'm going to have to talk to him about this situation. Hmm. Now, that was an example of a divine intervention by giving me a word of knowledge for this dear man and for these these uh, there were two gals that came up to me and said that the night before they had been uh, taunted at night for weeks and they felt a darkness leave them they didn't know each other they both came up and that that night they'd slept like a baby and and they were different so that would be an example no, i have vetted uh, once i'm sorry eric one more thing 40 50 stories like this mm -hmm. and i have vetted them very very carefully i've not included anything in there that I am not beyond any reasonable doubt confident is, is true and accurate. I, I didn't just grab stories and toss them in the book because they were good. There are mm -hmm. a bunch I didn't use because I couldn't verify them like I did the ones that are in there. So they're solid cases. Yeah, absolutely. And there, I definitely recommend people pick up the book. Um, you can get a link of it in the description in Amazon. Um, there are a lot of really cool stories like this. And, and I know just in my own experience, maybe some people who are watching who maybe are of more naturalistic bent, you might think this is crazy. Dr. Moreland, I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, um, one time about 20 years ago, um, I was driving to go see my fiance, who's now my wife. Um, and it was, it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we were driving, it was kind of, it was really, it was like a almost dusk and the sun was like very, very bright and I, I couldn't see very well. Uh, it was up on a freeway and it was heading up a hill. And I heard a voice that said, change lanes, like get in the other lane. It was very urgent. And it was like, get in the other lane, get in the other lane now. And without, and I was actually praying on my way to, to see her. Um, I just got off work and I just, without thinking, I was like, okay, I'll switch lanes. And what I didn't realize is that there was a car stalled out that I could not see oh, in no. the, the middle of the freeway that I just narrowly missed. Um, and I actually shared that testimony um, one time on uh, social media. Um, the, unfortunately, the car behind me hit, ended up hitting them. Um, oh, so no. I, I remember it very vividly and I, I pulled over on the, the shoulder. I, I called 911, um, you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
but when I share that story, I was accused of being on drugs. I was accused of being schizophrenic. Uh, I was, people thought I had, uh, maybe spider sense is really real or something like that. And um, there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of negative response to that. And so what do you say to people when they're just like, you, you don't hear God's voice. That's right. You're, you're schizophrenic, you know, I'd or this is crazy. Things. Three yeah. things. Um, the first one is, um, uh, what evidence do you have for these alternative explanations? Right. You can't just assert them. Give me some evidence why that should be even regarded as plausible. So then you shift, they gotta, they gotta give evidence for their views too. So that's the first thing I'm doing. You don't get away with just saying that and, and, and going on, well, hold it. What is your evidence that that is what happened? Right. Two, this satisfies the intelligent design principle or the intelligent agent principle. And if you reject this, like I said, you're gonna have to reject what, what scientists do every day in court and all over. This is not just a religious principle. Hmm. And the darn thing works. It's widely accepted in the scientific community in those areas that use it. And so you telling me that all of a sudden you're going to change on me, like it's like I said, because yeah. this clearly, there was something, there was an independent, that was extremely improbable. Let's be honest about it. Hmm. Even if you were on drugs, the fact that you were on drugs and it caused you to do something that saved your life is an extremely improbable thing that happens to people on drugs. Okay. There was a specialness about it because the whatever the thought that you had, how whatever it was and however it came, was a special one because it was special in light of what you needed to do to save your life. Right. Now, those two combined satisfy the intelligent agent principle. So what do you do with that? The third thing I would say would be, hey, if you think that people don't hear from God all the time, you, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, dude. Um, this is happening to people every day all over the world. And I've, I go to a church that is a vineyard church, and mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a sane church, very biblically oriented. It's not out there and crazy, but we allow for God to have his way and manifest himself at the end of services if he wants to. I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard from real credible people mm. that have had the Lord speak to them in one way or another. Yeah. And so your, your story isn't isolated. Yeah. It's a, a very wide pattern that's happened to hundreds of thousands of people. So, you know, you, you can't just dismiss all of that because they weren't on drugs. Right. don't take drugs. Well, <laughs> right. No, that's really good. And I, I think you're right about the wrong crowd thing because I, too, go to a um, Pentecostal charismatic yeah. church. Um, yeah. Simil I, I know Vineyard and, and Assemblies of God are different, but it's it's our doctrinal statement is the same. And I'm like, I, I these aren't that... These aren't that weird. I, I, I've no. actually heard many of these stories. And so you just, you guys are in the wrong crowd, you know, maybe well, they, you yeah, need to people change. People aren't crazy. Right. Yeah, these people have normal jobs. They're, they're intelligent. Yeah. They're not looking for 15 minutes of fame. Right. Uh, you know, are they, are they just ordinary people? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Very so, much yeah. so. Oh, that's awesome. Um, 
Well, I mean, while we're on the, the different examples, you talked we talked about hearing the voice of God. We talked about answers to prayer. Um, what what are you mentioned angels and demons? If you want yes. to share maybe uh, one of those. Yes. Uh, I know we're kind of far in our time right now. I don't want to keep you too long. But... Well, well, we'll we'll do this and then we'll just we'll close up. But um, back in around 94, I had an experience that I never had before. I, I preached at a church in Seattle in May on a, at a conference. And Friday night after I spoke, uh, a woman comes up to me and says, hey, thank you. I loved your talk. And by the way, the entire 50 minutes you spoke, there were three angels standing around you guarding you. There was a tall one behind you and two shorter ones on either side of you. Well, I thought she was nuts. And I got away from her as quickly as I could. I thanked her and I got out of there. Found out from the pastor that she was one of the lead disciple makers in the women's ministry. But I didn't, I still had no inclination at all to believe her. Fast forward to uh, the around the first part of September. And I was going through a hard time with something. And in 30, 35 years of being a Christian at that point, I had never prayed this in my life. And I prayed, Lord... I don't know if those angels were real or not. If they were real, would you send them here or uh, to, to protect me? And would you let me know that they're here? I'd always prayed for God's protection, but one of the things angels do is guard us. And so I asked him to send angels. Never done that before. Uh, about... 10 days later, and I have all this in a folder. I got an email from one of my graduate students who was taking a, a graduate metaphysics class with me in a, in a classroom named Meyer 109. I get this email from Mark Stepp. He says, JP, I've been waiting three days to send this to you because I didn't know what you'd think of me. But other, some of the other grad students told me I should send it to you, so here goes. If you want me to talk to you about this, I'll come to your office. Uh, a few days ago in Meyer Hall, while you were lecturing in metaphysics, for 10 to 20 minutes, I saw three angels appear standing around you. And there was, a there was a tall one behind you and two short ones on either side. And uh, they were robed beings that I could not see their faces, but they were there. And then they disappeared. And I, and I called him because he was also working in the graduate admissions office while going to grad school and said, get your rear end over here right now. So he comes over and I said, look, I get, dude, I said, what you saw, was it in your head and kind of an internal vision or was it in the room? And he said, oh, no, these were in the room. Hmm. They were right next to you. And I said, well, do you happen to have these kind of experiences regularly? Thinking, Eric, that maybe he was a little bit off and a little bit kind of had, an, had some kind of psychological disorder. Uh, and, and he said, oh no, he said, I've never seen an angel in my entire life. Uh, and I said, well, what, what happened? And he said, well, I drew a picture of it. And, I, and I've got the picture here. And there is a tall one behind me. And, he, and he'd never heard of this other thing. I never shared it with anybody. And so he said, I saw this. And I said, I thought I was freaking out. So I started rubbing my eyes like crazy. Hmm. And then I looked and they were still there. And I said, well, why didn't you say something? And he said, oh yeah, I'm gonna, Dr. Moreland, wait a minute, don't keep going, there are three angels that have just appeared. 
next to you. You think I'm going to do that? I had it was hard for me to get the guts to email you this. Right. Now, there's a there's a parenthesis here. I have a, a student that uh, works at Impact 360 outside of Atlanta, and he was in the graduate program and sat in the, right behind Mark in that class. When I shared this to their organization. He came up to me later and said, JP, and I know this guy, I've known him, we're family friends. I was there that day. I said, what do you mean? I remember the day at the really, the first couple of weeks of the semester, when all of a sudden Mark started flipping out. And it was like he had some acid or something had gotten in his eyes. He was rolling <laughs> like crazy. And he said, I almost got up and took him to the men's room to wash out his eyes. But then he stopped and I said, I didn't know why you was doing it, but now I know. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, so that was incident number two. There's another one I'm going to skip, but this happened to me again with a lady who saw these three angels and never heard about it. I'll give you, I'll give you the next two. Okay. And then, and then we'll close. Uh, uh, after this happened about, Four years later, I got an email from a lawyer in the LA area that wasn't a student, but he said, Dr. Moreland, you don't know me. I know you've had issues with anxiety. I'm going through horrible anxiety. Can I come and see at your office? And I said, please do. So I set up an appointment. I tried to help him for about an hour. And then I said, do you mind if I pray over you? So he got on his knees and I laid hands on him, prayed for him. Mm -hmm. and, and that was it. 18 months later, I get an email from this lawyer and I have my exchange with him right here in the folder. So I have proof. <laughs> and he said, Dr. Moreland, you're not going to remember me, but I was the guy that came in. Well, I didn't remember him, but he told me who he was. I've been sitting on something for 18 months and I just, it's, it, I got to tell you, I don't know what you're going to think of me. When you got me on my knees, I closed my eyes. And as you started praying, I felt presences come into the room and I opened my eyes. Okay, Dr. Moreland, I saw three angels standing around you. Hmm. It just seemed like they were protecting you as you were praying for me. And there was a, there was one was taller and there were two that were shorter. And we, uh, he had never heard me mention any of this. He, he wasn't prone to see this. Okay, here's the fourth story. In 2019, I, I, went to speak at an apologetics conference in Portland, Oregon, and I brought one of my buddies from churches about my age to go with me. I lectured on the existence of God Saturday morning. There were about 350 people at the conference, and we had a 30-minute break. We had different organizations that were pre presenting their books and their wares as we read. And uh, I was sitting down behind our book table, and my buddy was next to me, Mark Stevens, and the two uh, associate, uh, the secretaries, assistants uh, in our apologetics program were there, and they're still here. I know them well. And this 40-year-old woman, uh, something woman, comes walking across the foyer right toward me. And, and, I'm, and she comes up and says, Dr. Moreland, I wanted to thank you because all my life I've, I've been, I'm Jewish and I've been an atheist my whole life. But about a, a year and a half ago, I gave my life to Jesus and there was one or two of your books that really helped me get over that edge. And I just, oh, my goodness, I am so honored. But she said, that's not why I came here. I have, I've got to tell you something. 
while you were speaking this morning, I saw it. Stop. Don't, don't, don't go any further. Don't go any further. Hold on just a second. Mark, I want you to listen to what this lady is going to say. And I asked the two secretaries if they'd stop and listen. So there were three people listening. And I said, don't go on. I'm going to ask you questions. Did you see angels? Oh, my gosh. How did you know that? I said, just let me keep going for a second. Were they down on the floor off the stage? Were they hovering kind of right above me? Do you, do you remember where they were located? So I sure do. There were two on either on your sides and one behind you. I said, what, one other question. Do you have any idea about their relative sizes? So she said, there was a real tall dude. That was her exact phrase behind you and two short ones on either side. I said, have you ever heard me mention any of this? Or she had no clue what I was talking about. And I have eyewitnesses that saw that. Hmm. That would pass, that evidence would pass in a court of law. Because you have these five, I only share four cases of people seeing the same thing without knowing each other in different parts of the country. Right. And people might think, hey, well, that's weird. I mean, angels are all throughout the book of Acts. They're they're constantly, they let Peter out of prison. I mean, this sure. is something oh, absolutely. that, yeah. So um, there, I've, I've heard testimonies of where people have been in car accidents and tossed out a car and they just felt like they were flying to probably their death and they felt like they were just something grabbed them and just gently set them down and so right. I, I'm I believe you <laughs> so yeah yeah um, you know the bottom line is I want to encourage people uh not because I get much off these books I don't hmm. but to get a copy of a simple guide to experience miracles and I believe that it will do something it certainly has done something in my own life just writing it and it's such hmm. an you found it encouraging, I'm, I'm hoping. And I think it's, yeah. it builds your it just builds your heart, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it definitely, it, it created more of a hunger for me. Um, yeah, same here, yep. Because when you get into apologetics, you can, it could get very heady. Um, and that's not bad. It, it, we're supposed to love God right. with all of our mind. Right. Um, but if we are just focused so much on the intellectual arguments and we're not like hungry to um experience god which I, I believe he can be experienced and yes. experience the supernatural i'm not saying everything has to be spectacular no, no. we're not we're not going to have these things happen every single day absolutely not i sure don't <laughs> yeah but as somebody who i mean i'm a pretty hardcore evidentialist but when it comes to my so my theological background i'm you know like as i mentioned pentecostal charismatic yeah and yeah. i see no conflict between the schools of thoughts to, to, to close this up i just wanted to ask you one more question uh, I have several evidentialist friends of mine, however, that say that they are not so sure that it's normative for Christians to have, you know, a veridical experience of God, or at least one that is persuasive enough to convince somebody that Christianity is is true. And so I kind of bristle a little bit about that because I feel like that experience is maybe available to them and they just don't know it for maybe right. one reason or another. And so the question becomes, how can somebody who's maybe never experienced God in a profound way, uh, prepare themselves to ex experience maybe God's voice or the miraculous. First, you have to expose yourself to credible people who've had these experiences. So start asking people in your church, hey, have you ever seen anything kind of supernatural happen in your life in the last year? Have you ever heard God speak to you? What was it like? Secondly, read Dallas Willard's book, Hearing 
God. In the back of my book, I've got a whole bibliography of highly selected, excellent books in all these areas, and then be willing to be more open and receiving. But hear testimonies from other credible people through their books or that you know them, and that, that will help you. The body of Christ can minister to you in that area. Mm, absolutely. No, that's that's awesome. Uh, sometimes I feel like telling them to maybe get out there and pray for the sick or, or, or something. Yeah. You know? put, your, put yourself out there. Um, well, one guy told me if you pray for 200 people, you're going to see somebody healed. And I have. Most right. of the people I pray for don't. But there's been enough that have that I know what happens and so on. So yeah. this has been great, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Mullen. I really appreciate you taking an hour of your time. And again, oh, yeah, again, the book is a, a simple guide to experience miracles. Uh, link will be in the description down below. And uh, thank you, everybody, so much for watching. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Dr. Moylan. This has been great. Good to see you.